So we're here with Heather Fortune, formerly of Wax Idols. Yes. Uh, now a poster, I think. Yes. That's, that's uh, the best thing uh, to say here. <laughs> you're, uh, you're posting yes. full time. You know, I've been easing up on the posting lately. I'm not going to lie. But but yes, I have I have been notoriously a poster for quite some time. So uh, we're not ready to put you in the posting Hall of Fame, but we want to introduce a new kind of Hall of Fame for our show where I meant to do this like a long time ago, but I kept forgetting. But this is the perfect opportunity because we've had a good number of guests now who've gotten 7.6s on Pitchfork, <laughs> the most perfect score you can get. It is. And I just want to introduce a Hall of Fame. Because, Dan, of course, you're in the Hall of Fame for the Divine Fits album, 7.6. Classic score. Classic. Britt Daniel did that album with you, so that puts him in the Hall of Fame. Heather, you got uh, Wax Idols, American Tragic. That was a 7.6 right there. That's right, baby. Um, Who else do we got? We got Kurt Feldman. He got a 7.6 for Depreciation Guild, Spirit Youth. And then... We got uh, Zola Jesus with two... Yeah, exactly. 7.6s. Both uh, the spoils and versions, both 7.6s. So right now, Nika is like the champion. She's the queen. That is insane. Yeah, everyone else is looking for that second 7.6 out there. If you want to get onto that Hard level. to come by. I feel like I, I had another one that was like really close to a 7.6. Like either it was a 7.4 or it was a 7.8. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Me too. Me too. I think... I think the Wolf Parade EP, like the EP that we put out after we came back from the hiatus, was 7.4, I want to say. Maybe a 7.2. Maybe I'm giving myself too much credit here. I would give it a 7.5. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 7.5. Let's see. Let's see. Oh, wait. No. 7.1. 7.1. Ooh. I, I was overshooting. I was overshooting. Yeah, fucking bastards. But any any guests we've had who's had an album reviewed on Pitchfork, I want to say pretty much everyone has had a seven that's really close to the seven point six. Like I was also looking up uh, Titus Andronicus and Man Man, and all those other bands are like seven point five, seven point four. Like everyone's so close, you know. Just I think circling there's some the other golden members. Prize. There's some other six, seven, some really good seven point sixers, such as Weekend, the band Weekend. Not mm-hmm. the weekend, but the shoegaze band from San Francisco. They got a seven point six. I believe Were is in the seven point six club as well. All right. Um, yeah, it's they should have showed up to the Grammys because <laughs> the other weekend wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, just maybe no one will notice. <laughs> they could have hung out in his green room. He was at the Junos. Yeah, that's because they gave him every award. They abandoned America. He was not at the Junos, actually. Oh, was he, was, he not? Oh, was he not? Oh, that's even worse. No, he Poor wasn't Judas. there. <laughs> he was what busy. You, what was he doing? No. Uh, he's busy working on his new record. I don't know. Busy not going to the Junos. That's for sure. <laughs> or the they Grammys. They made the whole thing about him. Or the Grammys. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, he could not attend. There should be a Grammy for the most Pitchfork 7.6s that year. <laughs> yes. I think that what makes it kind of oh, weird, nav- though. Like, that, most people only put out one album a year, if that. Like. That would, how would anyone get more than one? You're right. It's only going to go to like a mixtape rapper who put out three 7.6 mixtapes. That's it's true. more like a Guinness World Record than like a Grammy, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. You have to make it lifetime. Yeah, it has to be, a, yes, exactly. It has to be a <laughs> lifetime achievement award. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> the national. 7.6. The national is in the 7.6 club. Uh, I think. I think they have two 7.6s. Deerhoof also in the 7.6 club. Ooh. Is there a graph of pitchfork scores? There should be. Did someone run the numbers on it? Because there must be a spike around there. <laughs> it's just the number they settle on when they like don't want to give you best new music, but they don't want to totally pan your article or your article, pan your fucking record either. So yeah. they just yeah. are like, fine, we're going to give them a 7.6. They can't get mad, but they can't get too happy either. I think what makes exactly. a 7.6 the best one is that a 7.5 makes sense because that's like a three out of four stars. But the, right. just how pedantic and like petty and shitty it is to go 0.1 off of there is just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> 7.6 is, is the three and a half, three, three and a half stars in Rolling Stone in the late 90s. Like when they would give, I think I've talked about this before, but there was a time with Rolling Stone where they'd give like any record they didn't understand or didn't necessarily like, but knew that they had to give a more than 50% positive review of, they'd give it three stars. 
So crazy town. You never know if they're going to become critically respected in the future. Yeah, it's really <laughs> hedging your bets. You know. Wait, do you mean I feel as like in they... Crazy Town the band? Yeah, butterfly. Yeah. Oh, butterfly fame. Damn. Yeah. What if they come back in like ten years with like a Pitchfork anthology review? And it's like nine point nine nine. Some like twelve year old right now is gonna do that. Yeah. Like yeah, Pitchfork should add a, deci- a decimal. Like that would get them so much attention. We're going two decimal points now. Let's stop That's talking right. about pitchfork, though. I mean, for <laughs> God's sake. Who cares? Let's move on to another thing that's also going to uh, make us mad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. Dan, do you want to introduce Side Door here? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, so uh, everybody knows that uh, COVID and... Uh, yeah, just basically the last year has um, sort of put the final nail in in uh, the coffin of the precarious uh, and oversaturated touring industry. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all hoping it's going to bounce back. Uh, and here in Canada, a group of entrepreneurs uh, have an idea, what if touring was like Airbnb? And... Um, <laughs> They've <laughs> started <laughs> something called Side Door, which I feel bad shitting on because, or being negative about, uh, because I feel like this is coming, at least from the people who are the public-facing part of Side Door, I feel like it's coming from a good place. But when anything describes itself as the Airbnb of, or disrupting blank, or um, started with seed money, you know, and it has to do with the entertainment industry, it means that it's going to be a disaster and artists are going to get fucked. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, you're right. It, 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 like this idea like rhymes with a good idea. Like you can see mm-hmm. certain aspects of it that sound appealing, but you're right that the implementation is going to be exactly like Airbnb where to whatever extent this like fosters good DIY spaces, there's always going to be more spaces that are run like Airbnbs where it's like some shithole that's just trying to get around regulations and uh, yes. has just over, overbearing, insane people running it who uh, undermine the ability to have a good show. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the, the idea behind Side Door is that um, you can sign on as an artist or you can sign on as a host. And um, Side Door will then connect artists and hosts. So um, if you have a space, like they say on their website, any space, doesn't matter what it is, you can put it up on side door and, uh, and then have artists come and play it. Um, you, you don't necessarily have to have you know, stuff that normal venues have, like a PA system or a sound system at all, uh, or a space for people to go uh, be alone, <laughs> like a green room. <laughs> You don't need any of that stuff. Uh, you can literally put anything up here. And I was going through their website, and it, it's a real mix of like um, stuff like Aaron's Place in Seashell, British Columbia, which is just somebody's front yard. And then um, right next to it, AC Hotel, a brand new boutique hotel in the heart of Dallas. So, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Um, can you set an age, ra- age range? They don't have that function. Um, That's 18 to 21? Dirtbag no, style? No, doesn't seem like it. Um, you can set, like, as an artist, you're supposed to set the percentage of profits from the show that you would like to receive. So you and the host basically have to negotiate, like, a split together. Yeah, that sounds horrible, dude. That sounds like a nightmare. But also, yeah. it's, like, no worse than booking a tour any other way. It's actually a little better because at least then there's an upfront, like there is a negotiation involved, like of the money and there's not just some like expectation, you know, some vague expectation of like, oh, they're going to, they're going to take care of us. They're going to take care of us. Yeah. And then like, yeah. you're totally fucked, you know, although yeah, in my true. experience, promoters of any variety don't always understand what the word guarantee or agreement means. So Absolutely. I can see that happening in an app just the same as it does in any other format. Yeah, I mean, think of how, like, Airbnb is technically an agreement, and think of how many times you've gotten an Airbnb that's been, I don't know, like, nothing like the photographs, or 
there's there's a surprise uh, deposit that you have to put down on it. It's like I, I'm just thinking of like touring and not uh, the, the last couple tours I went on. We we did Airbnbs if we had multiple dates in cities, and it was fifty fifty whether it was great or just like a total disaster. And I can see that happening with this. Yeah. I feel like, too, Airbnb has gotten worse over time, just like Uber and Lyft and shit like that are getting worse, mm-hmm. where I would assume something like this would kind of be the same thing, where as it, like, I don't know, there's some people who will host shows with it who are completely have their heart in the right place and will do a good job, but then more and more, as it gets systematized, there's just going to be, like, small business owners who make, uh, you know, a business out of having 10 different units that are doing this, and all of them are just run like shit, and they're, like... Yeah. More authoritarian than a normal venue and shit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And if you have anything, if if you have any like kind of technical requirements for the show above like an acoustic guitar, this network looks kind of challenging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, but here I'm being devil's advocate because I'm there. Are, I like I said um, when you sent this to me, Dan. There is some. There are some things about it that appeal to me, mostly just like like you said or someone else said um earlier that like these people do seem to really have their hearts in the right place you know they're they yeah. are like oh you the industry is totally controlled by like booking agents and all these you know whatever the companies and they decide who gets to be seen and who doesn't and there's all these artists who don't even have a chance to make a living so let's try and like work around that and like conceptually that's pretty lit like i'm i'm down with that but yeah, yeah when you involve when you involve vc funding an airbnb esque format and the general like you know capitalist nature of people at and just in general even beyond capitalism just the nature of people and you have like just anyone willy-nilly being able to say yeah i'm a host and they can just like lie they can lie they can say anything they can be like yeah i have you know a space that can hold 50 people and uh you know a pa and a kitchen area that i'm going to close off for you to get changed in and then you show up and it's like none of that not even any of that stuff's there you know like who's going to mm-hmm. who's going to go through and like check all of these alleged venues and make sure that they the people are who they say they are that the spaces are what they say they are like how is this going to be verified like th- there's no way it's going to be it's yeah, going to be a disaster <laughs> it's impossible to do and heather like you and i have both i definitely done like um you know uh more like punk touring before, yeah. right? Like pl- playing squats, playing people's houses, um, like that whole European circuit of of squats and occupied spaces. But like, I mean, I've had I've had extremely good experiences doing that and terrible experiences. And the di- I feel yeah. like the difference between that and this is that even the worst experience I've had in Europe, like getting locked into an unheated concrete S- fucking practice space. space and, in in Bristol in December and getting like no. bronchitis. Yeah. Even that, like even those people have more experience putting on shows. So at least like there were I don't know, there was monitors and like a couple of beers. Yeah. 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 It's it does seem it does seem pretty scary because like in even like you're saying, Dan, like in the most like bare bones sort of underground circuit of DIY booking, like there's still Um, somewhat of a verifiable connection between the whole network of people that are known for, for having had shows before. And that's how other people find out about them and get the contact info and whatever. Um, and like with this, like, what is it going to be like? Are people going to like Yelp review it and be like, yo, like I showed up here and it was dog shit or like some acoustic singer songwriter is like, this place was amazing. I got $35 and everyone could hear my acoustic guitar perfectly. (laughs) And like, that's not going to mean the same, you know, it's like, it's such a broad, it's just so broad. I don't want to shit on it. I feel like it has potential like conceptually, but it's basically like you're just trying to do DIY shows and like we already have that. So why do you yeah. need to make it an app that's funded by like VC whatever and like Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm skeptical that it really works better than the already existing flawed system. Where I do I mean I have sympathy for the artist who's in the article talking about kind of like what you're saying right now of 
uh, he was saying how, I don't know, he's like signed to Arts and Crafts or something. And, uh, you know, yeah, his Dan first... Magnin. Yeah, his first uh, show he played in Calgary, there was only four people there. And, you know, it always feels like shit when there's no one there and whatever. And then he played this backyard show next time around where there's like 60 people there. But it's because he was playing with people who know people who brought out friends and relatives, etc. It's like... Unfortunately, that's just how it works, right? Of like, you need to have that connect in that city who brings out those people. And I don't think an app can create like a genuine investment. Like, even if you use this app, no one's going to fucking come if they don't know you. Like, you have to have that connection who knows people there who are going to bring people. Like, this thing, like, right. it doesn't like, really even solve the problem. the audience? Mm-hmm. Like, where's the audience coming from? Yeah, nowhere. Like, okay. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. <laughs> yeah. From from what I can from what I can tell from their, the language on the app and their, you know, their press release and stuff, um, they're kind of going on the thing of that, like, side door will become a thing. And that when the hosts host a concert, people will come no matter what it is, which... I don't know if things work that way, you know, like, especially not these days, like everything's so fragmentary where like, why would you trust a side door host over anyone who makes music? Right. Like why are they like such a uh, expert curator at finding bands? Like, I don't know. That just seems so far fetched, you know? And, And this might sound shitty, but like then as the artist, then it's not your show, you know, then you are the entertainment for that night, you know, like, I, I'm thinking of like playing. I, I played a a really weird show in in the south of France at this uh, bar that just has music five nights a week, and we were just kind of slotted in. There's no real programming involved, and they just have an audience that comes in every night and watches. And you know, they they just sit down in tables and you play, and they you're the entertainment. You wait. I'm sorry. I Wolf think Parade did this. Uh, no operators. Oh, okay. I was about to say. <laughs> Although Wolfram did play a similar show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, down. go on. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. I just need a clarification. But, uh, I don't know. But uh, I don't know. Okay, like I think that I think the most egregious thing about this isn't isn't necessarily like the project itself. It's definitely not you know Dan Magnan being excited about it. I think it's the way it's being. Um, portrayed in media, you know, like the way that the Globe and Mail is pitching this and the way that Side Door is pitching this themselves too, is it ameliorates any kind of responsibility that like municipalities and the federal government have for maintaining art spaces, you know? Yeah. They're like, and I guess I guess a good example is like the Horseshoe Tavern in um, in Toronto is probably going to leave... Ontario, it probably like it probably can't sustain itself in Toronto because now that COVID is like quote unquote over, uh, the insurance for these venues is four hundred percent higher than it was before COVID, oh, and like impossible what? to get. Is yeah, that just a so where that come from? or is that happening elsewhere? Because I haven't heard anything about that here in the states. I think it's a Canadian thing. It's definitely a Toronto thing, and like. No one is willing to step in and regulate any of this or ask any questions. So it's oh, like I we're thought Canada was so much better. Ooh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not so much, but uh, but yeah, it's like you know, this is like a kind of a weird band aid solution. It's like obviously the government should step in and build fucking culture bunkers, you know, like like they have in uh, Germany, for instance, where you have like an art space that's co- co-funded or entirely funded by the government and it has a staff and it has a budget for programming. And it has and, a sleeping uh, place. Uh, yeah. They call <laughs> it your the sleeping sleep place. And this is your sleeping sl- place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, even yeah. though that is what Bernie Sanders did in Burlington, like he made like an all ages space for like high school bands to play at because they couldn't go to any venues, you know, and everyone's yeah. like that young. So he made essentially that kind of thing there. Yeah. Like it's it was very, okay to be doable. to be clear. To be clear, it was actually Jane Sanders. Oh, who true. Spearheaded true. that project, and Bernie just sort of was like, you know, it was part of the umbrella of his vibe. It was it was more of a Jane Sanders project, but yes. Yeah, Bernie. <laughs> is that yeah. still open? I think so. No Jane Sanders erasure on my watch. <laughs> Hell yes. Yeah, I feel like if every other European country can pull this off, like Canada, Canada can do it too. Like if if Slovenia can have like a multi-level like uh, 
art space with two different venues that does, I don't know, like has swans come and play like two nights in a row and sells it out. Like, and it's partially funded by the government and employs 200 people. Like, I, th- I think, I think we could do that too. Instead of side door. <laughs> yeah. Where do they host the Junos? They should take wherever that is and just use that as a show. It moves every year though. That's the thing. So, so the rest of Canada outside of Toronto doesn't feel like Toronto is hogging the spotlight. If, oh, if they funny. could, they'd host it in Toronto every year, I'm sure. It's so interesting to me how people in, over here in the Western world or what, on this continent at least or in England and whatever are just so totally comfortable with the idea of like VC capitalist funders and like Silicon Valley stuff and like app corporations and whatever just kind of stepping in to decide they are going to fix an alleged problem and take over. And everyone's like, yeah, innovation, great idea. Yes, we love that. We love that. But like government, no. Government needs to be small. Government needs to not get in our business. And why do we have government? Nobody knows. We don't want them to do anything. We just vote for to whoever give we think is to nice. To VC companies. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's exactly. 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 It's, it's just so insane. It's like yeah. nobody, never one to one, it's, it's such an American thing specifically to be like, oh, we don't, we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We don't want the hand, handouts from the government, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, oh, but you want like Silicon Valley to come along and make your life a little easy, automated piece of cake, you know, where you just can live in a little pod and never have to do anything for yourself. You want that. Like, you, yeah. you want yeah. that. You're fine with that. You, know? you want a room, <laughs> you want a fucking room full of guys who have never like been in a van for six weeks at a time before it ever played a show uh, coming in and deciding that they're going to like fix touring or, or That's fix, or fix the, um, what was it? The, the Spotify guy said the piracy problem by, oh, yeah, let's... by making money off of our music and not giving us any. <laughs> let's talk about that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So not a problem for me. Like what? Doctor Evil ass shit was that? That TED talk (laughs) that this man gave. What is his name again? Like Jason something. What's some annoying name? Like Tim Roberts or like some? I don't know. What's the guy's name? It's uh, Anderson. Yeah, Jim Anderson. Anderson. Jim Anderson. Right, like from the Matrix. He's Anderson or whatever. Uh, (laughs) He like. (laughs) I can't. Yeah. So we got. It was like yeah. a, a conversation between him and an artist named Ashley Jana. And she was like extremely polite about how she approached it too, I think. Um, and this guy, I mean, it's, I guess it's worth noting that he's not the CEO, uh, Daniel Eck, who's also a piece of shit. This right. is like one of the guys who actually yeah. designed the software. So if anything, he's more blunt and mask off than Eck, who feels like he has to like do PR but I, f- I feel like her way of approaching it was pretty reasonable where she's like just talking about being paid a fair amount because other ways of releasing music pay you more per listen, more per stream, whatever. So why doesn't Spotify keep up with what other people are paying? Like, it's a very reasonable thing. Yeah. And uh, he starts going on this rant. I think these are the best paragraphs right here where he's like, uh, so we should talk about entitlement. I mean, I have an issue with Taylor Swift's comments. I have this issue with it, and we'll call it entitlement. I mean, I consider myself an artist because I'm an inventor, okay? Now, I freely give away my patents for nothing. I never collect royalties on anything. Maybe we should take a break right there because that's already yeah. one thing. Let's, there's a lot to go into <laughs> Why do you right have there. patents then? There's a lot to go into. There's a lot to go into right there. So as some of you may have seen, I when I saw this, I just like, you know, on, I just screen capped it. And I just posted it and said, like, I would like to invite this man to go fuck himself. And yes, it popped off as which I'm very it's one of my most my favorite viral tweets because it deserved to go off. And um, the, the thing about it, the thing about it, that's just this first paragraph alone is the I consider myself an artist because I'm an inventor. OK, like he's like, okay, <laughs> like okay, you Missy over there. I am an artist too, and I give my shit away for free. So who are you to come in here expecting handouts? It's like he just, made one thing, one you, thing. You you like what planet are you on, sir? 
what planet are you on? Like, it's so, the audacity of it is so hilarious to me. <laughs> it's like unreal. And the idea of like, I never collect royalties on anything. That's because you're getting paid a shitload of money in like That's salary and presumably <laughs> stocks. Yeah, exactly. That's because well, you're just like, rich. It's like super it's rich people rich who are like, I'm like a CEO who's like, I'm not going to take a salary this year because I'm so dedicated to my employees, but he has tens of millions in stocks and other things, you know, like, yeah, it's the same Donald thing Trump here. did like, that. Yeah, exactly. Donald Trump didn't take a salary and then we pay like Mar-a-Lago like $10 million a day. Yeah. (laughs) And like bringing Taylor Swift into it specifically, like who gives a fuck? Okay, I don't think Taylor Swift needs this .00001 more stream. Yeah, she doesn't. But guess who does? The rest of us. Yeah. You know? The woman interviewing him does. Yeah, the person who's asking you the question would like to know. We're not, is Taylor Swift in the room? I don't think she is. I think this man's got a crush on Taylor Swift. Like why is he talking about Taylor Swift? Is she he's, the only artist in the entire world? Guys, like, what? He's trying to find such a rich artist that you'll uh, be like, oh, yeah, I guess she doesn't need more money. But it's like, go fuck right. yourself, man. It's not about that. It's right. It's funny, too, because because Eck used Taylor's the last time Spotify, like, put their foot in it or went mask off, I guess. Uh, Eck used Taylor Swift as an example of uh, someone who is adapted to this new paradigm, which is <laughs> hilarious because like any era that Taylor Swift would have come out in, she would have been, it's, it's not like streaming helped Taylor Swift, right? No. People stream Taylor Swift a lot because she's Taylor Swift and she gets, you know, she's still for all intents and purposes working within this old system that is uh, totally that father, inaccessible. That her, that her father, the investment banker, made it very easy for her to enter. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah. So so it's funny, yeah. It's just funny that both of these guys, their their example is Taylor Swift. But that's actually a good point of uh, if it's funny, like, you know, she would be rich in any era, but if she was benefiting from 90s CD prices, she would be even richer right now with the same following. Oh, yeah. So actually, even oh, she's yeah. doing worse than she would have done, right? Like... Right. If she was 20 years, like her career started 20 years earlier, she'd be even richer off the same fan base, you know? Oh, yeah. Heather, did you get people defending Spotify in, in your Not mentions? Not a one. Like, Not a that's, that's one. That's amazing. I mean, I'm, I always mute. I always mute tweets that get too big because it's just yeah, like that's annoying. The way to go. Um, but, but I would every now and then go and look just because for them, it was just like so many funny th- things being said. And yeah, I didn't see a single one. Not one. Yeah. Spotify reply guy, like that's good. Thinking Spotify was it doesn't really fit into any culture war framework. No, well that's the thing. Like there's no one out there who's gonna defend companies like that. Nah, people definitely will though. Yeah, like like my partner uh, Deboika like about six months ago tweeted something out about um about the amount of money that she received from Sound Exchange, like and, and like from streaming. And I don't think even mentioned Spotify by name. And then her, it went viral. And then the mentions were just flooded with people who aren't musicians, who don't play music, <laughs> just like kind of questioning her about like the math. And then, you know, mostly all dudes, but yeah. But yeah, just defending the streaming system, defending the streaming platform, the idea of streaming in general. Well, God protected was, me from those reply guys because I got none of them. So <laughs> People love the status quo, but I don't think there are any guys out there who are like, Spotify's based. They should pay <laughs> artists less. Yeah, I mean, you, I can't, stand read the CEO those, of Spotify. you can't read those quotes. <laughs> Not think the person is like a, <laughs> a raging sociopath. Like, it's demented. It's like, they should take money from Taylor Swift for every time a song gets played. Yeah. <laughs> She has to pay them a dollar. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should uh, oh, keep going with the next paragraph here. Uh, he goes on, I think Taylor Swift doesn't need .00001 more a stream. The problem is this. Spotify was created to solve a problem. The pro- uh, no, it wasn't. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. But, wait, yeah, wait. No, you're right. We can yeah, stop there wait, even wait. because it's no, no, just no, like no, the no. side finish, door thing. Finish the, parag- finish the paragraph. The whole thing is key. It's key. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, he keeps repeating yeah, yeah. himself here too. The problem is this. Spotify was created to solve a problem. The problem was this. Piracy and music distribution. The problem was to get artists' music out there. The problem was not to pay people uh. money. The problem, the problem was to distribute music, not to give you money, okay? The problem was to distribute music. 
None of that is what a problem is. He doesn't know what that word means. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of what I wanted to get back around to with the side door thing, where it's the same as Spotify in the sense, or really just VC shit in like a sort of um, the whole gig economy. Really, in general, is by solve a problem, they usually mean have a race to the bottom where everyone is making less and less. It just means an opportunity. I mean, it's essentially what he's saying is that like he's like the problem, you know, is that nobody was making money from music distribution. Like that was the problem with distribution. A, not true. Okay. But B that's, but that's what they're presenting it as. And then, but the solution that they are presenting or that he is presenting in this is essentially. So the solution to this problem is that Spotify makes all the money from distribution. Yes. And the the rest of you can go scratch. Like Mm -hmm. that's, that's literally what he says. It's not for you to make money. It's for, it's for us to make money. Like, <laughs> yeah, you idiots. <laughs> like, oh, well, uh, thank, thanks for your honesty. <laughs> it, it's such weird phrasing because it's like sociopathic and just very pat about the exploitative nature of it. But then he's also still using the corporate bullshit like it was created to solve a problem. Like, no, it wasn't. That's boardroom speak. It was created because you found a way you could make money. Yes. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it was created to so you can be the middleman between audiences and artists rather than someone else being the middleman, basically. Like, yeah. I can get VC to give me a bunch of money regardless of whether I can turn a profit or not. That's all it is. There were no problems. No one was trying to solve a problem. <laughs> I mean, he goes on to say, uh, like Janice says, People pay. People would pay one cent a song. It's literally one cent. And Anderson says, "Right, but you don't understand. The deal is this. Are you ready? It's the infrastructure doesn't work. That is not my issue. This world we live in is built on entitlement. Right now, everybody here is this younger world here. Everyone seems to think about entitlement. Um, but when he says it's what? the infrastructure that." It's the infrastructure that doesn't work. That's not my problem. Reminded me of that scene in Dead Ringers when uh, Jeremy Irons gets his like handmade uh, surgical tools and his brother is like horrified by them. And uh, he basically says, you don't understand. It's like the human body that's, the, that's wrong. These tools are perfectly fine. <laughs> Wait, but <laughs> excuse me, sorry. More importantly, though, what the fuck did that man even say in that paragraph? That's like word salad. That's like an Amy Therese tweet. I th- I think he's trying to say that it's the artist's um, deals with the label that I if I'm I'm trying to parse it out. Like you the know? infrastructure, okay, and then entitlement, this younger people, everyone here, the entitlement is what they think about, and but really, okay, the infrastructure. What, sir, did you just say? What? It's because someone else does all this for him. Yeah, I don't think he understands this the industry at all. Job. Yeah, he only he knows the to one lunches. thing. Yeah. <laughs> and they sort of give him a memo about it, and he doesn't listen. A friend of mine um, works for Spotify and calls and refers to themselves as the Robin Hood of Spotify. Um, because like the app? No, like Robin Hood is in like <laughs> the, key, no, the money, the, the real one. Um, and like hires friends all the time to do stuff and whatever. Anyway, um, they, <laughs> when I tweeted this, that thing, you know, these screenshots of the quotes, um, they were like, oh, should I slack him? <laughs> <laughs> And I was just like, dude, uh, you got to have people on the inside, you know, you got to know how the machine works. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking about, you know, the next album cycle I do, I know there's going to be a conversation about playlisting, right? Right. And I just, I'm at the point now where I would just rather not, (laughs) I would rather not, I would rather not engage with that in any way because I never see any benefits from it. Like I never see returns from it. Yeah. I've been thinking about that too, because I actually last year took all of my solo music off of all streaming sites, except for Bandcamp. So the only thing, like if you, if you search like Heather Fortune, you only find like a a remix I did for this band Law Dispute because that was like, you know, belonged to them, part of their remix album, but that's it. Um, but Wax Idols, everything is still up there because, you know, it's not, those weren't just my records. There's other people who contributed to them. So it didn't feel... 
I didn't feel like I was entitled to just take them down. And if I wanted to, I would have had to talk to someone. The that label. I that, that I, no, no, no. I own every, well, oh, we no. own everything. Okay. Yeah. No, I never signed away. Oh, amazing. Are you kidding me? Nice. I never signed away Masters to a single Wax Idols thing. Nice. That makes you smarter smart. than uh, smart. a huge percentage of bands. Smarter than basically smarter than everyone. Me. Smarter than <laughs> yeah. pretty much everyone. That's right, baby. That's right. Um, but, <laughs> but no, I just, you know, uh, whatever. I just didn't want to deal with talking to certain former bandmates that I don't like anymore. Mm-hmm. So I just left it up there. But um, now that I'm working on another record, not a Wax Idols record, but um, another record, I'm, I'm like, hmm, you know, like, do I still care enough about this to to withhold my music from the people who you know just they do they use they use these apps and even if they want to you know make sure that you get money and buy the records too or whatever like people use streaming people use spotify and itunes and all the stuff and um i don't want to like penalize potential fans or listeners um, because they use a service that they maybe don't fully understand the consequences of it. And they just, it's convenient for them. They like music, whatever. Like, I don't want to blame mm-hmm. them, you know? Um, yeah. and I also don't want to like limit myself in that way and be like, well, well, you know, my principles, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then keep myself small. Um, but on the other hand, I do <laughs> want to do that. Because I don't care. Yeah, that's kind of the... I just don't want to fuck with Spotify, you know? It's it's hard. Yeah, yeah. There seems to be, like, uh, it's almost like two choices when you're at a certain level, you know? It's it's either you abandon yourself to the fucking vortex of streaming and, you know, just kind of put the record out the way everyone puts it out, or you just completely wall yourself off and put it up on Bandcamp and kind of have a Patreon and limit your audience. And right. There, there doesn't seem to be much of a middle ground, like right, for absolutely. proper, proper releases, which is kind of brutal. It is. I think it's, it's, it's a better time economically for podcasts than bands in the sense that Patreon is the best website by far. And it's easier to make Patreon work for a podcast than a band. Cause you need to put out shit so frequently Right. That like you're in such a tough spot as a band where it's like, I mean, basically the, you know, the, the podcast thing being the podcast should be on Spotify and all that shit, just cause you're trying to pull people to the Patreon. And I ultimately think that's kind of how it is for bands too. Of if people are only using Spotify, then fine. I'm gonna put this shit on there, but I would rather they end up on Bandcamp, get actual merch, uh, pay, you know, whatever they right. want to pay on Bandcamp, etc. Like, I do feel kind of like exactly but, what you're saying. Like, I feel obligated lies, to do it. But therein lies the exposure angle. That's the mm-hmm. exposure yeah, argument yeah. that they use to defend all the shit that they do. So, like, yeah. well, exposure, right. exposure, exposure. No, you're not getting paid, but you're getting exposure. You know. And yet yeah, to bring it back to the article, that's where this guy's really just full of horse shit completely is that uh, at this point, Apple Music does pay a cent per stream. Uh, YouTube does also. Mm-hmm. Um, it's po- like the other st- people are starting to do it. So the fact that Spotify refuses is really just that they're the biggest player. So they don't want to do it because they don't have to. Because yeah. like you're saying, it's oh, well, we have the most exposure. So we're going to give you the least money, which right. is essentially insane, you know? Well, it's it's and not that it's insane. It's just that it's like wildly predatory and like yeah. capitalistic. And, you know, there's there's it's like you can't be both. You know, if you want to be just like full on, we don't give a fuck. We're the best at this. We made the biggest app and we're going to get all the money and you can suck it. Then fine. Be that. But you don't get to pretend that you're also this like altruistic artist friendly service that really cares you know, you don't get to do both. Yeah. Like, yeah, and it's constantly pitching you better ways to uh, interact with the platform. And, yeah, you know, I get so many emails from them. I'm more like, of you. your time and energy to, you know, it's always like you read it and, and it's always like, okay, there's another like 12 to 24 hours I'm going to put into this fucking like just vacuum of a platform that might pay off maybe. But probably not. Right. 
Um, yeah, and it, it's interesting too because Spotify, like you know, they don't like a lot of things. They don't make money off their their big money isn't made off of subscriptions. It's it's being made off of complex financial transactions between Tencent, you know, the company, the parent company, and then mm-hmm. record labels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so major labels own pieces of Spotify. Spotify in turn owns pieces of those labels, and all the money is being made in these complex financial transactions between these entities and mm-hmm. paying artists is just a, a irritating business expense. It's just a thorn in their side. You know, it's yeah. just, it just all, all that that ma- like means to them, it's only to do with their public image and how that might affect their stock options. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all they care about, which means that's also all we have as leverage, you know? Like that's all, that's all anyone has. And that's why there's been such big pushes to like boycott Amazon music or like pull people, pull your stuff off Spotify or whatever, because, you know, it's like the same thing as with a worker strike, you know, it's like, well, if everyone strikes all together cohesively at once then the empire shuts down. Right. So like, that's the, that's Mm -hmm. the idea behind artists who call for these kinds of like mass exodus strikes from these platforms. But there's just, hasn't been any sort of, there's no real cohesion about it. I think people, yeah. I think we're in such a like late stage, like death rattle capitalism game and people are just so tired and so yeah. disillusioned and just don't care anymore. And, um, just want to like have the best life they possibly can and do their shit and just accept what is. And, you know, I've, I feel that I get that, but it's like, yeah, it's just it's such a such a precarious time we're in right now. Yeah, yeah. Taylor Swift kind of blew that by taking her album off Spotify all by herself and uh, giving an example to everyone else that it doesn't do anything. Yeah, stupid bitch. Like she has the most power to change it of anyone. And she well, that's the thing is, is that she thought bucket. it was just about she could do that. She was like trying to swing her dick around and she missed. Mm-hmm. You know. It's like she didn't think she was like, I'm doing this for all the indie artists. And it was like, if you were doing this for all the indie artists, you would have organized with us. But you didn't because you just wanted to. Yeah, make a you point. would have been the yeah, face of the movement. Too politically stupid to understand organizing. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, yeah, it, it's so difficult to organize independent artists because everyone is so isolated and there's no real coherent mechanism to yeah. organize everyone. It's such an insanely dic- difficult process when Spotify is so monolithic that it's so easy for them to crush anything that isn't like a complete and total union against them, you know, like, yeah, it's hard to imagine ever organizing people as well as it would take to actually make a significant difference, you know, but everything seems impossible. Everything seems impossible before it becomes possible. That's just something I want to throw out there. That's a real thing about reality and nothing that's ever happened in humanity did somebody like there was there not a time when someone was like this is impossible and then it happened so and there are people who are really trying you know there's like the union of uh or like with allied workers or whatever the from musicians union that's been um building up a lot of steam in the last year i mean it just started in the last year but they're working really hard and i don't know i mean like I said, I vacillate back and forth between just being in a state of like what is and just accepting that and living moment to moment and then also being, you know, idealistic and wanting to make the world better for younger artists and stuff. And yeah. it's hard to know what the fuck to yeah. do. I think it's good to be just just slightly pessimistic so you never get your hopes up. But then when something good happens, you feel really good about it. Whereas if you're too optimistic, <laughs> then it's never going to meet your standards and you're always going to be disappointed. That is literally my mother's life motto. She, my entire <laughs> life, my entire life, my mother has been saying to me, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. My whole life. It's words it's, to live by. It's not, no, no, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> You know, they will perfect, they're going to perfect the AI uh, that uh, (laughs) makes something that sounds just close enough to wax idols that uh, you can't sue them. What that means is living in a constant state of anxiety. 
That means living in a constant state of anxiety. You're always prepared for the worst. And then there's a little part of you that's like, but maybe the best will happen. That means you're anxious all the time. And guess what? Guess yeah. who has a panic disorder and is on medication because she was raised like that? <laughs> well, let this me, let me, right um, that's just precarity. <laughs> I want to swap in uh, slightly different words then. I think you should uh, hope for pretty good, but expect kind of bad. Not the best and worst. <laughs> just, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I think that's better. Or just what is. I think is. you should hope and prepare for the medium scenario. Yeah, we got medium hopes <laughs> over here. That's fair too, yeah. We got mild hopes, not like high, mild high hopes. hopes. We got mild, yeah. mild hopes. I'm not going to say that. the average of everything that can melody. happen. Oh, now I'm just thinking about the, um, the fucking Buttigieg dance. Oh, God. <laughs> high, high hopes. Man. Yeah. I thought I had wiped that from my memory, but here we sorry. are. I'm sorry. The guy from their touring band who got Me Too'd played guitar on that track. Wait, one of the guys from Panic at the Disco got Me Too'd? Yeah, it was like a touring guitarist who was in the band. But he like just barely played on that before he got kicked out, Damn. and it made me happy when I found out. Yeah, I they're can't one of those bands what they came, what that what they became. I yeah, th- well, they're it. basically just a glorified solo act now, right? Just like Maroon Five, where it's really just one guy. It's doing just a Brandon Urie. Yeah, and yeah. Yep. It's it's very strange because I still remember Panic at the Disco as being like emblematic of a scene in a specific uh, period and time. When I was watching MTV2, yeah. and like, they would play Sins and Tragedies over and over again. But then they became this generic act that's like Coldplay or The Fray or something, where they just make mm-hmm. middle-of-the-road radio pop without any personality. And it's not even scene or emo. Well, the thing is, they were, they were always a generic act. I mean, they were just doing like third, fifth wave of like stuff, you know, they were like, Oh, yeah, they weren't Fall exactly Out Boy, like we're going to like copy Fallout boy. And then a little bit of my chemical romance and then like a little gay, you know, and then it just, was mostly <laughs> affectation. Yeah. It's, it was, it was mm-hmm. garbage from the beginning, but it is crazy to see what they become. Like that song me with him and Taylor Swift is literally the worst. That's when I go to hell, if I go to hell, <laughs> that song will be playing. That's the song, uh. that song on repeat is hell to me. The like me, Taylor Swift and Brandon Urie over and over and over again. And the high, high hope song. That's, that's the soundtrack to fucking hell. But I bet you he's, he's, uh, one of like 10 people who Spotify is working really well for because of those two songs. (laughs) (sighs) It's the devil's work. That's a good example. That's a good example of a band that kind of algorithmized themselves. Like, like they became the AI that was going to yeah. replace them. <laughs> I mean, that's why I brought up Maroon 5 earlier, because it's the same thing where at least when they started, they were like a real band with real songs. And like some of them are pretty good, like at the very beginning. With but now it's just. Who sings like this? Yeah. <laughs> sounds like me. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they they should do an Aqua Teen uh, crossover thing, but it yeah, does. he does he, go into Meatwad. It sounds like Meatwad if Meatwad's balls dropped. That's what that dude sounds yes. like. <laughs> yes, they should have a show of a uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force like all grown up or whatever, and he could do the voice <laughs> for him. But but he's the same thing where like he he decided to make the most obnoxious, horrible cookie cutter shit on earth. You know, like really pushed it to the limit, and it's it's paid off. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of money in garbage, as Tony Soprano would say. The Maroon 5 memory song, that really ticked me off when I was on the radio. What? what song? I don't think I know it that. Was, I, I think that's the one that uses Canon and D. Oh, no. Which oh, is such a whack yeah. at this point. Wait, what? <laughs> it's like using Turkey in the Straw or something. What are you guys talking about? Someone sing that it. That was probably number one for four years. Sing it. But it just yeah, Alex, right I don't know what, what song you mean. Alex, you got to sing it. you never hear that? I don't even remember it. I just remember the feeling I got. <laughs> Which was abject it's like horror? A, it's like finding out that you have poison ivy. You just get this itch. It's their most played song ever. I oh, don't wow. mind spending every day. <laughs> By 20 million. On the corner in the boring ring. So <laughs> shitty. Why does everyone I like can't, it's just because he's hot. That's all. That's the only reason why. It's because they were on uh VH1 I Love the 80s. 
Is that why? Really? No, that's not why. Oh, okay. But I, they were on there a lot. It was Adam <laughs> and one of the other guys. They would be commenting on every video. Right. Them and Michael Ian Black. Right. Oh, yeah, oh, man. Michael Adam Ian Levine Black. should should do a book with Megan McCain too. <laughs> he did all those proactive in commercials too. Don't oh forget. yeah. <laughs> I know someone who worked for them and said it was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> like in a tech in a technical capacity. It's so weird to me that this love and she will be loved are nine and ten most most played Maroon Five songs. Yeah, it's bizarre. So do, do Those you think were that's, like huge? Because they came before the advent of streaming, though, probably, right? You know? That's got to be a big part so. of it. I wonder what would happen if those came out today. But yeah. it's so weird to see that as, like, that's the legacy of Maroon 5 is songs that came out in 2018. Oh, of course. But it's just like Panic! at the Disco, where I guarantee those new songs are blowing their old shit out of the water. You yeah, know? that's got to be weird. Like, the, the shittier your music like gets, that. the more it's going to pay off. Is, is a good yeah. I think it was Beyonce. That's why my next record is going to be so whack. <laughs> <laughs> Beyonce's most played track is Halo, which I didn't expect. Oh, from the video game Halo? Yeah, the theme She's song doing from the Halo. Halo theme. <laughs> Wait, you guys are kidding, right? That's not real. Yeah, yeah. I wish. I'm a little gullible. There is actually a, a listener of this show once sent me, um, it was Joe Satriani in the studio shredding over the Halo theme for like 20 minutes straight. That was pretty good, but I don't think you could get uh, Beyonce to do it. Oh my God. Have we been on for two hours? No. 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 One hour. No. Yeah. <laughs> is it daylight saving? It's just really boring. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, that, that was like a... Very subtle burn. Oh, have this, has this been four hours? Because it feels like. <laughs> no, I feel I just like I've been recording time. this my whole life. No, I looked at the at the time on my um, my recording situation, and it says like one hour and fifty three minutes right now that we're at. But I think it's one hundred and fifty three bars, and it got like fucked up or something. Or one thousand five hundred thirty. I don't. Anyway, maybe you're recording at half speed, but we're perceiving it as like. Well, we have what time signature is it set to? I mean, it's totally possible. One time, You're recording uh, in six eight, are you? One time, Derek sent me his audio with a click track over the whole thing, <laughs> and I was like, "You better have a version of this without it." And luckily, he did. But I was gonna be so fucking mad if that was the only version. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> just like 120 BPM, just clicking away for an hour. <laughs> dick, dick, dick. Uh, no, I definitely turned mine off. You say that now, and then uh, I'm gonna no, check I out the file. <laughs> I hate I hate I hate click tracks so fucking much and I I can I can work to them and I have learned how to deal with it and tune them out and whatever but I fucking hate them so I turn it off Me like too. the first thing I do It's the worst Just set up a drum loop Exactly That's what I do yeah. exactly. That's the way to get that going Yep Exactly you just set up a drum loop you don't need a beat. fucking metronome what is less vibey than that? I mean, come on. Who wants to hear that? You're trying to, you're what trying you to gotta, tap in. What you got to do is you got to go into the metronome settings and, and you got to spend like two or three hours like nudging one of the clicks over and accenting another one to kind of recreate the beat of the song, like the groove yeah, no of thanks. the song. No, I'm not doing that. It's simple, really. Mm, sounds like it. <laughs> This is the kind of stuff that my cousin, who I like, formed the the comp the thing, the music company with. He is like, he can do that shit so fucking fast. He can just like, oh yeah, it's easy. Just go in, but you know, he can set up a whole like template and do all this fucking sh whatever. He like reads music and understands all the different time signatures and scales and all this nonsense. And I'm like, cool, have fun being a nerd. I'm over here <laughs> vibing being cool and uh i'm not doing any of that shit so that's that's why i'm stoked to work with him because i'm like that's yeah great. yeah that's, that's the best great. kind of yeah. creative partnership when someone likes doing the shit that you hate doing yeah exactly exactly I'm like, oh, I'm like oh i had this great idea for a song i'm gonna send it to you and then he just takes it and like in one pass turns it into like you know a fucking orchestral genius like crazy thing and i'm like that's great thank you do you <laughs> And love that for you. And, and you're, like, you're like, no, no, no. I said panic at the disco. <laughs> what is this orchestral <laughs> shit? Not Maroon 5. <laughs> I found some click tracks on Spotify. These are great. <laughs> really? 
<laughs> are there click tracks on Spotify? How many oh, plays yeah, do they have? Like, do they have millions of plays? 80, 80 BPM to 144 BPM. It's you got really got to listen to the whole album. <laughs> Is it to get the chronological? Where it gets. Yeah, it gets a little bit faster every time. Oh god, that's so oh, funny. Oh, is it is it by the artist Click Tracker? No, there was one named Troc, like Jacques, but Troc. <laughs> that's just exactly what we talked to Nika about on her episode, just like the fake Spotify artists that are just designed to rack up plays off stuff that's not actually music. We should get those guys to take their music off Spotify. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Getting like really moralistic about it when you're the guy who makes like relaxing rain noises. <laughs> Volume one thousand. <laughs> no, I'm gonna take a stand, dude. I'm gonna take this shit down. They're not paying artists. Like the rain noise guy. Only God owns the rain. That's right. Yeah, I made my own like uh, custom patches for all these click track sounds. They're really nice click tracks, and I deserve. You can only get my click tracks on Bandcamp and on vinyl. <laughs> I built these click tracks on a $40,000 modular system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I started with the sine wave, and then I modulated it. It'd be great to have a career based on that, and you actually do shows. It's like, oh, you think he's going to play 126 tonight? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, I think I just saw like a gunshot outside my house. I saw a flash of light, and then I saw a cat running. Do you think the cat shot the gun? <laughs> Possibly. You should call the cops on the cat. Whoever's at the scene of the crime probably did it. There's another cat running now. There is oh, mischief. So two cats oh, having a, a uh, misunderstanding. There's mischief afoot on the block. Uh, I don't see anything, but that was weird. Anyway. <laughs> Man. Now I just got to listen to some classic click tracks. <laughs> once, it gets, once this album gets to 104 BPM, it really picks up. Yeah. <laughs> hey, but Like the 80s and 90s are kind of slow. It's kind of a long intro. But yeah. See, that's kind of weird. Once you I get would, into the swing of things. You want to start the click track album with like 136. Then, you know, keep it kind of fast paced for a few. Then you slow it down in the middle with a couple... But you want to save then a you classic. Do a ballad. I think you want to save 120 BPM and 144 BPM for the encore because those are like the bangers. 120 that's has right. to be the single. Yeah, yeah. totally. Because that's what everyone's used to. Yeah. Man, this stuff, I just keep snapping along with it. <laughs> it's infectious. And the whole crowd's still offbeat anyway. <laughs> Somehow clapping on one. And we wonder why so many people like music that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about playing in that band and remembering your best shows like oh we were really on that night you know <laughs> that was the fastest we ever played <laughs> when we played 120 with the marimba sound instead of the classic click sound the crowd went wild this just makes me i just all i can think about right now is what an absolute like nazi overlord i used to be with my drummer my, well, not my drummer, but one of the drummers of Wax Idols, Keevan, back in the day. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, <laughs> he never played fast enough for me, like, ever. And <laughs> I, no matter what he did, even if he was playing per, at a perfect tempo, it was not, when we were playing shows, it was not fast enough. Like, I was, like, always, like, turning around and being like, faster, faster. And he, like, jokes that he, like, has PT. I mean, I don't think he's joking. I think he probably really does have PTSD <laughs> from me, like, giving him these, like, demonic looks on stage, which meant that he was, like, not playing fast enough or, like, fucked up somehow or whatever. Uh, tre tremors love it when you do that. Tremors love it when you're, like, two-thirds of the way through an hour-long set in the middle of a tour and everyone's physically exhausted and they, you, you perceive them <laughs> slowing down and you turn around and you get really close to the drum riser and you just look at them. <laughs> and maybe you tip your chin up. Yeah. That's why you need a metronome. Yeah. Yeah, bring a click Steel track out there. Uh, you'll <laughs> save some money. You'll make more money. You'll never go off tempo. The echo to yeah. my bunny men. Yeah. I got. I had that full band intervention on me uh, for like giving people what they perceived as mean looks on stage with operators. Death looks. The death. Yeah, look. I. But I. No. I like literally couldn't help. I didn't. I don't think I realized I was doing it. But I didn't you know, either. Like if I, 
heard something off, I would apparently turn and, and give the death stare. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of so those I things that not, where I, I, try not I do to feel do like it. it's normal to look at people in not even like a mean way, but I'll, if I fuck something up, I'll look at someone else when I fuck up and be like, oh, I'm sure you heard that, you know? I think it's normal mm-hmm. to make like that kind mm-hmm. of eye contact. I guess you just don't want to be perceived as doing it too rudely, but like, I don't think it's an abnormal yeah, I th- thing. I, th- I think there's, there's, there's a difference between um, the acknowledgement of oneself fucking up and then there being a person in the band who hears when anyone fucks up anything, yeah, that's, no matter that's, how yeah. small it is and yeah. automatically yeah. reacts to it. Um, yeah, that's, that's not good. No, I'm. I was. I am that too, for sure. I also had like an intervention about this, and I was like, I felt terrible because I didn't even realize I was doing it. It was like I just. I hear everything. First, I'm in the center. I'm in the middle. I'm right in front of the drums. The bass on my right. The other guitars on my left, or whatever. I hear everybody's shit, and also like I wrote ninety percent of the stuff everyone's playing. So like I know how everything is supposed to sound, and so I just. Does, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I, if I'm in the middle of singing and playing or whatever I'm doing, if you fuck up, I fucking hear it and I can't help. <laughs> I, I like turn and like to like, uh, like it's not even like I turn to give, I'm sure Dan, you understand this. It's not even like you turn to like give them a nasty look. It's like you're, you're turning cause you're trying to locate the source of the fuck up. It's like, not you're trying to the, locate the error. Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> not about like the person. It's not personal. You're just like, what was that? You know, it's like you heard a crazy sound while you were in bed and you're like, whoa, what was that? It's like, that's, that's what it is. But I mean, God, they feel like shit when you do that. (laughs) It's true. Like if I'm on the freight train of rock and roll and I hear one of the wheels start rattling, getting loose, I'm going to take a look at that wheel because I don't want to crash. I don't want to crash and burn, you know? Right. Right. But it's also like a control I made the mistake of not doing that once. I took too long and didn't look at it, and it fell off. You got to look at the wheel, off. man. You got to look at the wheel. <laughs> you got to check if you hear a noise. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did that happen on your car? Like, You're oh, saying? Uh, like, like, what? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, I, I, I'm two minutes from work. I might as well just wait. <laughs> Damn. Did it, like, seriously fuck up the front of your car or anything if the whole wheel fell off? Uh, It scraped up the rim a little bit, but I pulled over right away. Oh, okay. I was just imagining Fun like times. a huge catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, I actually died. Yeah. <laughs> you can never let the audience know when any of this is happening, right? Like you're you're maybe shooting death stares at band members, maybe you're fucking up yourself, but the worst thing you can do is is let the audience know. Um, yeah, yeah, I learned that the hard way. I I had a there was a band member in Wolf Parade who uh every time he screwed up would like would kind of like on a bad night he'd just like completely he'd blow one small thing and then just kind of give up on the rest of the bar you know uh, yeah <laughs> it'd just be like one note off and then just like, like. yeah that's kind of like a one-on-one one thing like you can't do that you know yeah yeah and look very on, i never would let on if i fucked up like no way you fake it till you make it baby but if everyone else was like fucking up or something just felt like wrong or like the sound was really bad this is early in the earlier days when i was very angry and doing a lot of drugs um i would just yeah. throw stuff i would throw my i would throw throw my guitar i would just pick it up i would unplug my shit just throw it at people throw it at the sound guy throw it at my bandmates i was a little bit crazy Throw myself, throw, yeah. throw drinks. <laughs> just I was just like, if something wasn't, I was like, this is not the way it's supposed to sound. <laughs> just throw things. I have definitely lost my shit on monitor guys uh, before, like house monitor guys. Oh yeah. But uh, have I ever thrown anything? I threw my guitar uh, at a guy at a show in Fargo because he spent the entire show at the very front, right in front of me, and we were playing on the floor, and he had his back to me the whole time. And wow. was uh, on his phone and or talking to his friend. And he was like <laughs> three or four feet away from me. So oh. during the last song, I just, I was playing, 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 and I just took my guitar off and threw it as hard as I could at him. Oh, man. You know what you should have done? You know what you should have done? You should have taken your guitar off gently, laid it down on the stage, walked off the stage over to him, tapped him on the back of the, the shoulder, and you have him turn around and slapped him in the face. 
Yes. That's what you should have done. How like was he a, able to have a phone call? He was, uh, he was like texting, like talking to his friend and texting oh, the okay. whole time. That yeah, is yeah. un... Oh, my God. I can picture it. With his it. fucking back to me. <laughs> I can picture it. would be it. funny to have your back to the band in the front row being like, sorry, I can't hear you. It's a little loud here. Sorry. <laughs> On the oh, phone. my God. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, some jackasses yeah. are trying to play music in here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm... I I definitely did some very mean and psychotic things to audience members. <laughs> but you know what? Members. At the end of the day, uh, <laughs> it takes that mean streak in order to get the coveted 7.6. That's right, so baby. That's right. I think it all paid off in the end, and you learned your lesson. You got your 7.6. <laughs> and who can who can take that away from you? Nobody. No one. I don't think any artist has been worse to an audience than an audience was to Dimebag. <laughs> True. Touche. Touche. I haven't been murdered on stage, so I'm doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. Never trust audiences. See, there's, there's a good Not kind of yet. optimism right there. Right. Yeah. Not yet. But, uh, yeah, I feel like we covered a lot of ground here. Uh, Heather, thanks for stopping by. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. You're welcome. Should we keep thanking each other for like 10 minutes? No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Oh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It was really nothing. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Heather, come back anytime. Oh, thank you. Heather, come back anytime. Thank you. 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 Thank you.